Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of the Wizards and Wisdom podcast. My name is Bud, and I'm here with Joe, and we're here to talk about wizards and wisdom, <laughs> hence the name of the podcast. But what does that mean? That means that we're going to talk about both fictional wizards, we're going to talk about real-life wizards, and by that we mean people that who have, who have inspired us, who have motivated us, who have made an impact in culture and society, who feel, we feel have earned the title of wizard. So again, my name is Bud, and I'm here with my man Joe. How's it going, Joe? I'm, I'm doing pretty well. This is episode number three, and I know it's been a while since we've recorded. Uh, life is a funny thing sometimes, and so we've, you know, both of us have had uh, some things going on, and when it comes to this podcast, we've also wanted to figure out the best way to, uh, to present this podcast. Uh, this was honestly Joe's idea. Uh, something he wanted to pursue and make a reality, and uh, I was, I'm just along for the ride and happy to be here. So, what's been going on with you, Mr. Curry? Well, um, I don't know. I think I've talked about my job at the Animal Protective League. Um, still doing that, you know, saving animal lives. Um, I got engaged. Nice. Um, I believe that's a lot of time has passed, so I think that falls into the gap. Right. Um, which, you know, is exhilarating and nerve-wracking trying to plan for a wedding and who's getting invited and who's going to sit where and all that stuff that I didn't realize, you know, I was signing up for. Yeah, there's a lot to it. Yeah. <laughs> um, Definitely. What's been going on with you, other than this fancy place we're sitting in? Well, we are actually on location at... <laughs> The new location of Gravity Martial Arts, which is the school that I and my, at some point in the future, future wife, uh, we own this place. Uh, we own the school. We're renting okay. the building. Um, but no, it's been great. We've been here over a month, and the school is doing great, and we're doing great. Uh, but we're a lot busier now uh, yeah. with a lot more responsibility. Uh, you know, and with great responsibility comes greater bills. And uh, so I took a job in the mornings where I'm working at a credit union during the day and by night I am a you know crime fighter or no uh, martial arts instructor so I think yeah so you know life's been good and I'm happy to finally find some time to sit down here and uh, record this podcast so like I said it's been a while and uh, this is actually episode three part two yeah or the redo yeah or the uh, you know the podcast strikes back or whatever but we couldn't <laughs> We can't find the recording for the last episode three that we recorded, so uh, here we are again, <laughs> and that's okay because we'll just do it again. Yeah. But it's going to be totally different this time because our topic for today is totally different than whatever it was we talked about last time. Yeah, for sure. Uh, because of recent events, uh, we are dedicating this this episode to the late great Stan Lee, and so he will be the wizard. Uh, we'll be discussing today. So, we ready to get into it? I think so. All right, well, kick us off, Joe. What Stan so, Lee, what can be said about Stan the man? So, a lot of, and I kind of touched on this before we started recording, a lot of who I am, maybe not so much consciously as subconsciously, has been weaned by superhero culture. Like... You know, what is good, what is evil, and who are these heroes that we look up to? Sure. And 
we we may disagree on you know how cool Batman is, but he's always been one of my favorites. You know, he's at the end of the day, he doesn't really have any powers. He's just a dude, mm-hmm. and that to me is like you look at Spider-Man, and I could relate to Spider-Man in the sense that you know he was a kid with a lot. Think about how much responsibility 18-year-olds have now and think about then the idea that, you know, if you can save the world and you don't, then, you know, or your uncle. Right. And, <laughs> you know, all these lessons that he, he humanized the, what was previously perceived as inhuman, like the, mm-hmm. like Superman. You can't be Superman. Right. But, you know, you give... Iron Man, you know, alcoholism and make it a real issue to confront, it changes the game. Well, you know, what's interesting, you you bring up Superman, you bring up Batman. Those characters came first, right? And they came around in an age of idealism. And when you look at Marvel characters, most of the ones that we see today in the Marvel Cinematic Universe are characters that were made by Stan Lee, mm. uh, co-created at least. I mean, you had like Jack Kirby, Steve Ditko, John yeah. Romita Sr., like those guys, and more, uh, who helped in the creation of these characters. But these guys were made, these characters, these heroes, were created in the 60s. But when you look at like Superman, Batman, they were created much earlier, yeah. in a more idealistic time, yeah. where uh, you look at Superman, and Superman is the quintessential hero. Yeah. When you think generic superhero... I mean, his name is Superman. Yeah. Like, you don't get more generic than Superman, right? Yeah, for sure. Like, he's a superhero. What's his name? Superman, you know? <laughs> and he wears an S on his chest. I know it stands for hope. But, <laughs> but that's not what it stood no. for back in 1930-whatever, right? It was an S because super. Su- he was super. He was strong. And he could, you know, eventually he could fly. And he, you know, super speed. He had everything. And then he got his random assortment of powers. Like, anything you could picture... The pinnacle of superhero ship being yeah. Superman is. Yeah. You know, even so much as when you look at like the Christopher Reeve movies and those like weird powers that he had, really like, <laughs> throw a like a Teflon, not Teflon, like a uh, cellophane, cellophane superhero yeah. symbol on you know from his chest <laughs> and could teleport and make like illusions of himself. Like, like that's like he like he's like Loki in that movie. <laughs> it's weird, and, but that was that's Superman. And nobody can really aspire to be Superman. All we can do is look up to Superman. Yeah. And we can say things like, I, I want to be like Superman in the sense of Superman has this like incorruptible virtue. Yeah. And he always does what's right. And he's always responsible. You know, which in and of itself is an ideal that we lowly humans can strive to be like. But we can never sit there and go like, I'm going to be like Superman. All I got to do is... Work out enough or eat right. I just need you to know? bench press a yeah. planet. Like, yeah, you familiar with a One Punch Man? Yes. When they asked him, like, what's your, well, how did you become so powerful? <laughs> He's like, 100 push ups, 100 sit ups, 100 sit ups, and I ran 10 kilometers yeah. a day or so. Yeah, there's, and I did that every day. Right? And, like, then my, and then my hair fell out. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense, man. Like, how, that doesn't, that's not how you become One Punch Man. It's like you can't – that's kind of the, the joke yeah. of the show, right? But you can't be Superman. And re- honestly, even though I think Batman is – obviously he's a human. He's a man. He doesn't yeah. have any special powers. We really can't be Batman either because Batman is the ideal 
man, ideal human. Yeah. And you think, like, you know, he's still a human, right? Well, maybe. But he's peak physical condition. Yeah, he, he knows, like, every martial art. Yeah, yeah he's, he's, you know, the, the, the maximum human strength on his character sheet, you know, that yeah. a human could possibly have. He's, he's maxed got, out his character yeah, sheet. Yeah, <laughs> he's got max human stats yeah. on his character sheet, right? He's the best detective. He's the best martial artist. He has the best gadgets. He has the best equipment, the best vehicles. He's got more money than God. Like, this is something that you might be able to achieve one of those things. Like, you might be the best martial artist, or you might be the best detective, or you might be a really great computer whiz and, you know, be a computer hacker, or you might just be rich. Yeah. But you're never going to be all those things. And the thing about Batman is that it's become kind of a meme, but like, why does Batman always win? Or why is Batman able to stand up to Superman? Or what, you know, the building explodes, but he survives. Why? Because I'm Batman. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that alone is like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Batman. Why did <laughs> he win the day? Well, he's Batman, right? <laughs> like, that doesn't make sense if any other hero says that. Yeah. Like, how, how is it that you were able to stop Darkseid and stop Apocalypse from invading Earth? You know, like, because I'm Ant-Man. Like, no, it doesn't, that doesn't work. Like, no other hero can say that. Even Superman, Superman might be able to say that, but it still doesn't have the same gravitas yeah. as Batman, it's, right? It doesn't seem like it was as impressive when he does it. Right. <laughs> yeah, and it's, you know, obviously Batman's got better PR and a better image, right, in a way, you know, in terms of, like, I'm cooler, you know? Yeah. But, again, we're dealing with characters from the DC universe who are idealistic heroes. They're more godlike. Yeah. The problems they face are more problems that a god would face yeah. than a human. But then you've got the Marvel heroes. And again, most of those were made during the 60s. You know, Spider-Man, Thor, Iron Man, the X-Men, Daredevil, Doctor Strange, Ant-Man, Scarlet Witch, the Hulk, Black Panther, the Fantastic Four. All of those we've seen in movies or Netflix shows or... And movies we'd like to forget about. And movies we'd like to forget. You know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the Fantastic Four have done it twice. I mean, there's that one in the 90s that the, whatever, but... The first one, I mean, say what you will about, you know, Jessica Alba in it, but the first one wasn't terrible. It was watchable. No, it wasn't bad. Silver yeah. Surfer was a little... That's where they were like, oh, look at... It's, yeah. Yeah, okay. that went off the rails a little bit, yeah. and they've—they've they've, no one's ever really figured out how to put Doctor Doom on the screen. Yeah. Doctor Doom is is an amazing character, but they've never captured him correctly on yeah. the screen. Um, and so yes, I've, it's. But these are all characters who have had a major influence in on media on culture. Yeah, and for sure. When you think about Spider Man, Spider Man is probably the character most associated with Stan Lee. And not in terms of just like he helped create the character, but in terms of the character's story, what kind of story did Stan Lee want to tell? He wanted to tell stories of regular people. That's why these heroes are set in New York, not made up metropolis or Gotham City. You know, they were set in like real world USA, right? Yeah. And <clears throat> New York, the melting pot, you know, and in a time of angst and, you know, civil unrest and rebellion and people looking for themselves and trying to find themselves and, and revolution, all these things associated with the 1960s, these characters come into play and they're put into these comic books for the society to, to consume. Yes. And so you have Spider-Man, who is a regular person. He's a kid, right? Yeah. And he's struggling with you know, regret. He's struggling with past mistakes. He's trying to 
overcome his past. He's dealing with being able to pay the rent. He's dealing with, you know, making it in school. You know, kind of trying to keep yeah. his grades up. And there's there's elements of Spider-Man that are somewhat fantastical. Like, not only is he a regular kid who's trying to make his living at the Daily Bugle, but he's also a science whiz. You yeah. know, if you look at, like, Spider-Man as he was written in the comics. Yeah. You know, he's a, you know, a scientific wonderkin, you know. Yeah. Um, he's... Just yeah. below Reed Richards. <laughs> yeah, like the the spider, the Peter Parker in the MCU isn't quite to that level. He's not like yeah. Reed Richards. Uh, I mean, he was able to make his little web shooters and whatnot, yeah. but uh, it was really in the MCU. It was Tony Stark that's supplying most of yeah. the equipment. I think I th- I think that's just for storytelling, though. I think that Peter could do it. He just doesn't have the funds that Tony Stark has. Well, sure, <laughs> and and they made him a little bit younger. Yeah, uh, in the MCU. But the, the point is, from the very beginning, Peter has always been genius-level scientific mind. Yeah. Um, you know, inventing the web formula and having the web shooters, those are things that uh, came from his mind. But he was, at, 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 his, at the core of his character, a, a flawed character and a character who hasn't figured out life. And on top of that, he was bitten by a radioactive spider, and now he's got this weight of the powers that he's acquired from that radioactive spider bite. Now he feels this moral impetus to put on a mask, swing throughout New York City, and stop crime. And so that's, you know, it's hard enough for us to sit down and try to record a podcast (laughs) with me owning a business, you working full-time, and everything else we have going on in our lives. Imagine if we had to put on our plate however many hours a day it would take to be Spider-Man. Yeah. Or to be Daredevil, or to be, you know, that's the heroes. Those are the heroes that Stan Lee created. Yeah. And in that sense, Marvel heroes, and you can see it in the films too, but especially in the comics, you can see people, humans that we can relate to much more than a Clark Kent, much more than a Bruce Wayne. Yeah. You know, if you think about it, the most DC character in the Marvel franchise is Captain America. But Captain America was made in March of 1941. And again, they needed an idealistic symbol of hope. Like, he's dressed in the flag, for crying out loud, right? Yeah. You know, like, he has the same kind of... We need someone to punch Hitler. Yeah, (laughs) Captain America is kind of, to me, a Superman-Batman hybrid. Because he has the moralistic leanings of Superman, the righteous, like, I do the right thing all the time, go America, you know, truth, justice, and the American (laughs) way. Uh, But he's also, he's a man. Now, of course, he's a super soldier serum man yeah. but he's not bulletproof he can't fly he's just super strong super fast basically what Batman is yeah. you know um, if you have ever read the comic where they did the crossover of DC and Marvel it was like a series they did I haven't so, read it but I'm aware of it yeah so you know it was DC and Marvel get together and they're like we're gonna pit our heroes against each other we're gonna let people vote and see who wins and so they had Captain America and Batman kind of duke it out and it was kind of like a draw, right? So it's like they, I don't, I don't know. Batman, I think, might have gotten the edge at the end, but for the most part, they were like fighting for hours, and you know, they couldn't, you know, yeah. like nothing was happening. But that kind of gives you the idea. It's like Captain America is this epitome of what a human could possibly be, without making him Superman. Yeah, if that makes sense. And so Captain America is this more like idealistic character. It's only in later writings that they started to give him more of a character flaw or a, a, 
you know, a, a crack in the armor. Yeah. You know, we're not even going to talk about the storyline that they had recently where he was <laughs> all along, he was a Hydra agent. Yeah. Get that nonsense. Yeah, get that nonsense out of here. And, and again, why were we so distraught by that? Because he's so idealistic. Yeah. Like, Captain America could never, ever be a Hydra agent. Yeah. Because he's... But again, Captain America, like Batman, like Superman, comes from an earlier era that's more idealistic. All these car- heroes that I mentioned are all made in, they're all made in the 60s. During a time of, of unrest, human unrest. Now we've always had human unrest. I mean, World War II was a time of yeah. unrest, but it was culturally shifting. Yeah. Between the 1940s, 1950s, and the 60s and 70s, there was a world of change. Yeah. That happened on a fundamental cultural level. And we're still dealing with the effects of that, from good and bad. Yeah. I. Not that it's a giant tangent, but as a Batman fan, I'd have to say if you took movie Batman and movie Captain America, Captain America would squash him like a bug. Well, they, they kind of amped up Captain yeah. America in the MCU. Yeah, like one of my favorite scenes was from Civil War, and actually you can see it in Infinity War as well, was when you know Black Panther's chasing them and they're keeping pace with cars and traffic when right. they're sprinting. Yeah. Like Black, pa- Black Panther, okay, he has like a mystical fruit that awakens the powers inside him. Right. But Captain America's just <laughs> flying down yeah. beating cars and traffic. Yeah. And then you see it you see it in Infinity War where you know Wakanda's army goes against Thanos's whatever those things those were. Multi-armed whatever. Yeah. yeah. Everyone starts off at the same time but then in the front there's Captain oh, yeah. Black Panther just speeding yeah. out in front of everybody. Well, it's like, how fast are they? Tangent upon a tangent. <laughs> in Captain America Civil War, Cap is chasing Black Panther, who's chasing Bucky, right? Yeah. The Winter Soldier. And they're, like you said, they're just trucking down the road. Just boom, 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 foot race. And then in, in Infinity War, it's kind of like they come, they come full circle, I guess. And now they're running side by side as yeah. opposed to running... The same direction, but on different sides. Now they're running side by side, the same direction, on the same side. I don't know if that was intentional, but it, it stood yeah, out to me yeah, as a moment. No, I like that. Because it's the two times, you know, you saw, you said it, the two times we really see an all-out sprint with T'Challa and Steve Rogers just kind of just going, foot race. But I hadn't, I hadn't made that connection, but I really enjoy that. Yeah, and I don't know if it was intentional, but it, it, it makes... Intentional enough. Yeah, it, yeah you know... <laughs> So, my one of my favorite things to think about when it comes to what Stan Lee has brought to the world comes from my youth, because I'm you know, a baby. And so we started talking about this before recording, but Marvel, the MCU is celebrating 10 years. Iron Man came out in 2008. I would have been 15 years old. I'd always been a nerd. I grew up playing Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, I decided to come up with an idea for a podcast called Wizards and Wisdom. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like, and it, there was always kind of a shift. I think it kind of came with uh, the millennials that there was like a mental shift of what really defines what gets to be cool. Mm-hmm. But Tony Stark, when when Robert Downey Jr. said the line, I am Iron Man, at the end of that movie, mm-hmm. that, to me, 
was the turning point. Like that, I could almost, to me, that was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be awesome. Like I had no, I had no idea what it was going to turn into now. Right. But if I could look back on it, I could, I would pinpoint it to that moment. Like you look at everything that was cool between it, but it could have just been any action movie. Marvel had the Blade trilogy. Right. Were they the greatest movies in the world? No, but I still enjoy them. But I that was enjoyed wasn't, them. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. <laughs> they Wesley Wesley yeah. Snipes was dope. And yeah, I I really enjoy the Blade trilogy. I yeah. think Blade Trinity is the reason why Ryan Reynolds gets to be Deadpool. Absolutely. Like yeah. he was Deadpool in that movie. They just gave him a different name. Right. Um. But that moment was the, and we we only have Stan Lee to thank for that. I mean, obviously, Kevin Feige and John Favreau directed sure. and produced it, right. but who made the character? Right. Well, and, and not just because, you know, like, I, you rattle off all these characters, Spider-Man, Thor, Iron Man, all these people. Uh, he didn't invent Captain America. He didn't create Captain America. But, like, uh, all these heroes that are now a part of our modern mythology – and Stan Lee didn't create them alone. Yeah. You know, he had help. Like I said, you had, you know, Jack Kirby, Steve Ditko come to mind as minds that are nearly equally worthy of respect. Yeah. But what Stan Lee did was he was very much a almost like a liaison to the society, to society. Yeah. You know, where he was like the face, he was the ambassador of the comic book world to the real world. And you know, you see that in all the cameos that he's done in yeah. all the Marvel movies. And uh, I read something on the internet that now that he's passed, uh, one, his cameo for Avengers 4 has already been filmed. Yeah. So he'll be in Avengers 4, his cameo. But then somebody, I don't remember where it was, I just read it on the internet. It was on the internet. <laughs> uh, they said that, it has to be true. Well, that, it, was a, it was an idea that, they, that well, I think would be cool. Uh, that there should be like, I don't know, a picture of Stan Lee or something, kind of like a Where's Waldo yeah. in, in every future Marvel movie so that fans can try to find Stan Lee. Yeah. You know? Find the Stan. Yeah. One of the coolest Stan Lee cameos uh, that I saw recently was in the Spider-Man PS4 game. I don't think I know it. Go ahead and tell me. Well, he was just, he was in it. Uh, like, <laughs> oh, I didn't know, I didn't know yeah. if there was context. Like, no, just he, he, did was, something. he was in the Spider-Man PS4 game. Which, yeah, okay. Just as an aside, I, I I never played the game, but I'm like watching people on yeah. YouTube play. I my relationship with video games is such that when they were all two dimensional, like Mario bouncing or a little kung fu guy hitting or Mortal <laughs> Kombat, like two dimensional video games, right on I'm there. As soon as they went third dimensional, it was like old man syndrome set in, and I couldn't <laughs> figure them out. But I love I love the concept of video games, and I love watching people play video games. So, like, you know, Jack Septic guy, I'm, like, watching him play Spider-Man 4. And he had, like, 12 episodes, right? And I'm just, like, watching him. Uh, Spider-Man. You know? Like, I'm watching this, like, long movie or documentary. But it was it was a really well-told... The game isn't perfect, yeah. but it's great. Yeah. And it's got a really well-told story. And it's one of the best depictions of Spider-Man ever. And there's even a Stan Lee cameo in it, which is absolutely perfect. Yeah. So, anyway. As there should be. As there should be. So, yeah. So, then the idea was that you just put something of Stan Lee, like a picture on the wall or something, in every future Marvel movie. 
just as an, like an homage to the fact that you know, because you need to have Stan Lee in every Marvel movie somehow. Yeah, or you just CGI you, him. Yeah, like the, I mean, you can't, I mean, even if he's in the background, not saying anything, he's like, ah, oh, there's Stan Lee walking across the street. You just got some, you know, walking with like Princess Leia and Tarkin, you know, like all CGI characters. <laughs> yeah. You know, why not? In the Beatles, put them in there. Too. You know, Abbey Road in the background, just do it. Like that'd be cool. I but, actually want to see that. I mean, it's all owned by Disney. So. Yeah, why not? <laughs> Disney owns everything that can do that, you know? Like Stan Lee, Darth Vader just walking across the street in the background of Iron Man 4. Like, that's fine. End of yeah. End of the next Star Wars movie, Stan's just a force ghost. Yeah. <laughs> so when you think about Stan Lee's impact on society through these, through these stories that he told and through being this physical representation of the storyteller and interacting with fans and being accessible to fans and... And just being real, being uh, he was as real as the, the characters he created in terms of their humanity and their realism. That is Stan Lee, to me, his legacy. Not just in the characters he created, but in what these characters represent and how he represented himself to the world. And I would put, when you think about who has influenced pop culture and our modern mythos, the most. The three names that come to mind for me are J.R.R. Tolkien. Like he basically invented the, the modern fantasy, fantasy genre, D&D, Magic the Gathering, you know, yeah. elves and dwarves and knights and wizards and swords. He kind of invented how that plays out. Mm. Like he created that trope. George Lucas, which in light of the new movies, the prequels aren't nearly as bad as we thought they were. Yeah. You really think it's like, oh, I was like, oh man, those. Yeah. can we do that again? Well, let me, let me think about it. <laughs> let's, let's digress for a second yeah. about Star Wars. People, here's the problem. The, the prequels have their flaws, no doubt. Yeah. And they didn't quite capture the magic of the original trilogy. Now, partly you, I say that as someone who watched the original trilogy as a child. Right? And I was a little too young for the original Star Wars. I was born two years before Episode One came out. Uh, but I, my, the first movie I ever saw in a theater was Empire Strikes Back. I'm five years old, 1980. Boom. I'm in the theater with my Uncle Johnny watching Empire Strikes Back. And I didn't really understand what I was watching. <laughs> you know, like, who's, like, Vader got his head cut off. How's he not dead? Whose face is in the mat? Is that Luke? What's that? I don't get it. You know? And, like, I don't understand, but the Force yeah. is cool and lightsabers are cool. And then I saw, in 1983, I saw Return of the Jedi in the theater. So I know there's a generational influence, because there's some people who grew up with the prequels the way my generation grew up with the original trilogy. And so they look at the prequels as, like, that's Star Wars. Like, that's Star Wars, you know? Yeah. Like, who's Obi-Wan Kenobi? Like, my generation would be, like, Alec Guinness. The next generation would say Ewan McGregor. You mean Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, he, he died for us. Um, you know, and honestly, at this point, if you ask me who Obi-Wan is, I'd say Ewan McGregor. And if they were making an Obi-Wan movie, it has to be Ewan McGregor yeah. or forget it. Yeah, like, just go away. Yeah, I will not see that movie the same way I didn't watch Solo. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, but yeah, but, but generally speaking, you understand, like, it's, it's, there's a generational influence. And then you get to the, the, the sequel trilogy. And now that the sequel trilogy is out, and regardless of whether you were a prequel person or a, or a original person, you're looking at it. And some people love them. That's fine. You're but, wrong, but it's okay. Yeah, they're they're wrong, but they're, <laughs> but even if even for the people who like them, you have to understand, you can like the movie and still recognize that it's had a negative impact on the world. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it doesn't capture 
the magic. And even though the prequels were flawed, and at the time it was, you know, like hating on the prequels was kind of like hating Nickelback and Coldplay. Yeah. Like it's just what the cool people did. You know, it's just what you do. You just hate Nickelback. Um, you know, you, make, you have to. Yeah, you make fun of Guy Fieri. Yeah. You know, like that's just what you do. Flavortown, man. Yeah, <laughs> what's wrong with Flavortown? <laughs> um, but then when you look in retrospect, they're, they're still enjoyable to watch. Yeah. They're still fun. They still tell the story. They don't ruin anything in Star Wars. I don't, like, midichlorians doesn't bother me because, wow, let's really dig down the rabbit hole. <laughs> in the 70s and 80s, the Force was the Force. That's it. Then you get to the 90s and the early 2000s, and the Force becomes, like, well, it's midichlorians. Blah, blah. But then Qui-Gon Jinn would talk about the living Force. But the movies never really clarified what that meant. Yeah. People just thought, well, that's just Qui-Gon. He talks weird, you know. He's he's yeah, he's not on the council, <laughs> you know. Like his ways are so weird, man. Like he should have been like a Jedi in the '60s. Um, but there's a difference, a distinction between the living force and the cosmic force, right? And I don't want to get into details about it because that's an entirely different podcast that we should probably do in episode four, yeah. uh, <laughs> a new hope. Um, but. <laughs> But there's a difference, and, and the midichlorians make more sense now when you see it connected to the living force that's connecting living things together, yeah. and the cosmic force that's like, you know, like once you die, you become part of the cosmic force, and Qui-Gon was able to tap into the cosmic force, and he came, comes back, and he teaches Yoda and Obi-Wan how to be force ghosts, and like, now it makes more sense to me. Yeah, right? No, I get that. And we never really gave George Lucas a chance to like, explain that, maybe he hadn't fully fleshed it out back then, but... He didn't flesh out everything in the original trilogy either. No. You know? Like, we didn't know. Um, but all that said, uh, I really want George Lucas to come back. <laughs> but anyway, look, that's uh, digressions aside. <laughs> the, the people who have, by their storytelling, influenced our culture the most. Yeah. J.R.R. Tolkien, the fantasy genre, George Lucas and the sci-fi fantasy genre. And you could throw Gene Roddenberry in there too. But I think Gene Roddenberry kind of gave like more of a scientific yeah. alternative, future alternative to yeah. Star Wars. You know, even though like Roddenberry was in the 60s, the popularity of Star Wars, I think, is what helped bring Star Trek into the forefront too. Because yeah. people are like, we love space! <laughs> you know? And so Star Wars made that a thing. It's like, oh, you can like space and you can like spaceships. Oh, there's Star Trek too, right? Because yeah. without Star Wars, would there have been like you know Battlestar Galactica or you know Babylon Five or you yeah. know, Stargate, any of that kind of stuff? Probably not. You know, like there had to be a, a seminal work. Yeah. And so you take George Lucas with a side of Gene Roddenberry, and then you have Stan Lee, and then with a side of Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko, right? Yeah. Those people who have influenced our modern mythology more than anybody else. For sure. You know, because we're talking about, we talk about wizards, we think about Gandalf, right? Yeah. You know, there would be no J.K. Rowling, 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 however you say her name. Yeah. There would be no J.K.R. without J.J.R. Yeah. Or J.R.R. <laughs> J.R. Ewing from Dallas. That's going way back. <laughs> All the kids have shut up the podcast now. <laughs> the old man's talking about 80s soap operas. All right. There would be no J.K. Rowling without J.R.R. Tolkien. Uh, Star Wars is a part of our regular vernacular and our regular oh, yeah. speech in our society. You'd be hard-pressed to find yeah. someone who doesn't know who Yoda is. Yeah, and then Stan Lee, and of course, the medium that Stan Lee con conveyed his stories through, comic books, isn't a medium that is 
readily accessible to people. Like it's yeah. not something like mo- the majority of people don't pick up comic books. Yeah, I haven't physically read a comic book since I was a teenager. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I would still consider myself a comics fan, even before the MCU. Yeah. You know, going back to like the the, the DC animated universe. Yeah. Justice League, Justice League Unlimited, the Batman the animated series, like. You know the Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends back in the eighties, like all these, all these cartoons and all these. Like I've always been a comic book or superhero fan, and yeah. a lot of people have, even people didn't read comics. The rise of the MCU, you know, Iron Man, I am Iron Man. You know that kicked off something that nobody anticipated being so big, so prevalent, so yeah. fundamentally life-altering for society. Yeah. You know, um, and that took the stories. And the characters that Stanley created and put them into a, a a more readily accessible medium. Yeah. And with that, Iron Man prior to two thousand eight was kind of a B character. Like he was just like, who cared about Iron Man? Yeah. You know, Ant Man was like a C character. Who cared about Ant Man? Like people knew Captain America, yeah. right? People knew Spider Man. Like if you go to two thousand seven United States of America and you're like, name five superheroes, mm-hmm. they'd be like, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman. Spider-Man, Captain America, right? Maybe Wonder Woman. Maybe The Flash. Maybe Aquaman. Eh, yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, ooh, that guy. Right? Um, maybe Green Lantern. Yeah. You know? Uh, maybe Wolverine. Maybe. But even Wolverine wasn't as mainstream until Hugh Jackman. Yeah. You know? So movies, cinema, is what take, took these stories and transformed the world through their storytelling. Yeah. But that said, the the stories that were being told finally found, I think, the proper medium to impact this to impact society. Yeah. You know, you couldn't tell a good Spider-Man story back in the 60s and 70s unless you're talking about the Japanese Spider-Man, which is the most amazing show ever. Imagine take Spider-Man, put him in Japan, make him Japanese and turn him into a Power Ranger and that's Japanese Spider-Man. Okay, I'm on board. Yeah, just look it up. He's even got like a Zord or whatever. He's got his own. It's amazing. All right? So unless you're doing that, because there was like a 1970s Spider-Man show, and they didn't, they just couldn't do it, right? Um, well, and then you had cartoons, and then, you know, they tried doing superhero. Like they made a 1990s Captain America and a 1990s, they tried doing a Fantastic Four. They did the Hulk with Lou Ferrigno back in the day. But none of it could truly capture what they were telling in these stories. They couldn't capture these characters. Now we finally have the technology and the ability to make Spider-Man swing and make make you know people fly through the air with a, a sense of realism. You can yeah. see the Hulk transform, and you're not like, oh, that's just a bodybuilder painted green, you know. <laughs> so it, it's stories that, in a lot of ways, might have been ahead of their time, and the technology to truly convey them to the world has come. Yeah. But even before the movies, Spider-Man was one of the most popular characters ever. Like even before the movies. Yeah. You know, so you can't say everything was due to the MCU. The MCU just just injected it with like, you know, nitrous oxide. Yeah. And now it's a now it's a phenomenon. Yeah. It see, it's a uh, it injected it with a dose of populace. Like yeah. you can anyone can go to a movie. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's you know comic books throughout history have gone down, gone up in popularity, but they've never been like everyone reads comic books. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> Like, there were times when the comic book industry was like, maybe we're just never going to do this again. Like, we're going to be bankrupt. Who's reading comic books? You know? Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, but the stories captured therein are fantastic. They needed a way to break off, break out of the pages of the comic book. But let's let's talk about a different aspect. Okay. Like I said, when you go back to the comparison between Marvel heroes and DC heroes, the DC heroes, Batman, Superman, the Flash, these are idealistic images of whatever they're representing, right? Yeah. Like Batman is the perfect representation of like human vigilante crime fighter. The Flash is the fastest man alive. And it, when you look at like what Marvel analogs are there to those, let's take those three. Yeah. What's the, what's the Marvel analog to Superman? There really isn't one. Yeah. They made one, but no one knows his name. No one cares about him. You can like, like well, there's the Hulk. Yeah, he's, he's not Superman, though. Yeah. There's Thor. Yeah, but he's not really Superman. He's different. They're all, they're yeah. all different. You know, you've got other, like, you know, Captain Marvel. Okay, well, they're not, I mean, like, not Shazam. I mean, like, you know, yeah. the movie that's going to be coming out with, with what's her name? <laughs> like, like, she's strong, and she can fly, and she lives out in space or whatever, but, like, she's not Superman. You look at Batman. Like, what's Batman's analog? Like, oh, Captain America. Like, yeah, no, not really. You know? I, I mean, if I had to break it down, it would be, <clears throat> to me, it would be Iron Man. Like, Tony Stark sure. is your... Yeah. Marvel equivalent of... Yeah. and But I think that, that that comparison is more due to the movies. Yeah. Because they made Iron Man... Like, of all the heroes in Infinity War who's going toe-to-toe with Thanos, Iron Man's the one that was, like, putting up the best fight. Made... You know, drew blood, right? The hell that's that that line, you know, like all this for a drop of blood, you know. Yeah. Like, well, yeah, but like no one else did that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And there was like a mutual respect that Thanos had, or like a respect that Thanos had for Tony Stark. In a in a moment of digression, which I I love, I love the MCU. Yeah. To me, and I and I kind of get it because how are you going to get Captain America to Titan? It's, it could be done. I just because I've seen it done the way they did it in Infinity War, it wouldn't have been done that way. Right. So getting Iron Man onto the ship made much more sense than trying right. to get anyone else on there. Sure. To me, I think that all that line, all of that for a drop of blood, could have been saved for Cap. Like I get that it would be like the same like idea. Sure. But in. To me, for like an actual impact of storytelling, I think Cap deserved that more. Okay. Like I like I like when Civil War came out, I was definitely Team Iron Man because I thought, yeah, Iron Man's cool. <laughs> <laughs> why are you signing the accord? Tony's cool. I don't yeah. know. You know. Like that's why. Did you? Did you? That's why War Machine signed it. Yeah. He's like, well, he gave me the suit. <laughs> but you look at who. Steve Rogers is, and they've beefed beefed up his powers for the movies. Right. But everyone who's physically fought Thanos, Cap was holding open the glove with his arms. Yeah. And to me, you know, just sliding and hitting him with an elbow there and drawing the blood would have been more emotionally impactful. Yeah. Than the what was it like a rocket kick to the side of the head that Something drew the like that. blood? Yeah, he just kept hitting them. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. It's you know the the long drawn out fight that ended up being just between Tony and Thanos. You know the culmination of that was the drawing of the blood, 
So I think if you were going to put Cap in that scenario, it had to have had the same kind of long, drawn-out battle. So it requires some rewriting, but I can see where Cap would be the one to do that. Because he's always been painted as... The, the one with the most resilience, the you know. Yeah. Um, but I think in terms of the storytelling that they've gone with, they're setting up Tony to be kind of the answer. Yeah. Like, Thanos was, there was, Thanos had more screen time in Infinity War than any other character. Um, but in terms of, if you look at, like, the focus, Tony, even when, like, Doctor Strange gives up the Time Stone so that Thanos doesn't kill Tony, like, everyone believes pretty much that, like, he did that because he saw those 14 million and six different outcomes and Tony is the key. Yeah. Something about Tony. And Tony has been kind of the spotlight character throughout the last 10 years. Oh, yeah. His film was the first one, right? Like he's like, that's where the money's at. <laughs> yeah. Like it's been the Iron Man show for the last 10 years. And yes, Captain America's had awesome movies Thor, and all that. But like in terms of like where the storytelling has gone, it's really been about, Tony Stark's journey. He's had the most character development of, of any character uh, in the series. Yeah. And I think that's why they went with that that particular scene with yeah. Iron Man being the one to draw the blood. Because that, I think, is a, a symbol. You know, it's like, it might be foreshadowing or it might just represent like this. If Thanos is, if a god, you know, if God bleeds, people stop believing in him. Right, yeah. that line. So Tony Stark is the man who made God bleed, so yeah. to speak. So like they're setting him up as like if anyone's gonna take him down or if anyone's gonna fix this, it's Tony. Right? It's Iron yeah. Man. So I think that's why so I get what you're saying. I just I understand why they went with Iron Man over yeah. Captain America. I get it. Because Captain America, I mean he's he hasn't had as much character development. He's mostly been like, I was frozen, now I'm in the future. <laughs> what are cell phones? You know, like, like that's kind of been like, oh, you know. I get that uh, reference. <laughs> I, yeah. Like, it's just been him trying to catch up, you know, kind of like when your grandma finally gets on Facebook and you're like, well, how do I make a post thing? You're like, okay, grandma, you need, need to sit down and just yeah. catch up, you know. But getting back to what I was saying about analogs, there's not really a good analog for Superman in the Marvel Universe, not one that matters. Yeah. There's not really a, a, like Iron Man's close, but it's not really a good analog for Batman in the Marvel Universe. The Flash has Quicksilver, but if you ask anybody like who's faster, it, most people probably say the Flash. Yeah. Whether that's true or not, I don't even know. But it's probably true, because I can't imagine Quicksilver beating the Flash in a race. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just don't see that happening. So even though Quicksilver is the closest analog to the Flash, that Marvel has, he's not that big a name. In fact, he, he was killed off in Age of Ultron. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. I think some weird stuff is going to happen in Avengers 4. Like, I think that people that we aren't expecting to come back to life are going to come back to life. I wouldn't be surprised. And I might even make this an official Sensei Bug prediction. <laughs> so I've already got a couple predictions out there in, in, in the cyber world. One is that Snoke is definitely going to be back in Episode <laughs> 9. Uh because they're going to try to fix everything that Ryan Johnson, Ryan Johnson screwed up. Um, but for real, I think he's going to be back. I, like I, I, be, I would believe that Snoke is back more than I would believe that Luke is back. That's how strongly I believe Snoke's going to be back. That's a prediction, official. And I'll make another prediction. Let's just do it. Right. Because I think this is true. Uh, I think that Quicksilver is going to come back to life. 
Because Sense8 Age of Ultron, which is the movie that people talk about less because it was kind of weird in yeah. comparison to the rest of the movies, like the Avenger movies and Marvel movies, like he was killed off. And think about now that they've acquired the X-Men. They can go they can put the X-Men into the Marvel cinematic universe. Yeah. And if they wanted to, they can have the connection between, you know, Magneto, Scarlet Witch, and Quicksilver. But if Quicksilver's dead, that's weird, right? Yeah. So if they really wanted to do that, then it makes sense to bring back Quicksilver, which if you think like the quantum realm and time travel or whatever is gonna be at, at play here, yeah. then who knows who's gonna come back? You know? So I, my prediction is I would I'm gonna make an official Sensei Bud prediction. Quicksilver will be back in Avengers 4. I boom. My. Mic drop. Done. Thanks for coming out tonight, guys. This has been Wizards and Wisdom Podcast. <laughs> we're, we're done. Uh, what was the topic? It was <laughs> The topic is who's coming back in Avengers 4? Uh, Stan Lee will be back in Avengers 4, which he is because yes, Campbell's there. So another sensei bud prediction. No, it's not a prediction. We already know that his film, his cameo has been filmed. Uh, but again, the the reason I bring up analogs is because when you look at the DC heroes, you're looking at these idealistic representations of heroes, yeah. right? Who protect and are above regular people. Mm-hmm. You look at Marvel heroes, they're people who are people amidst the people trying to live up to the powers and the responsibilities they have. And again, you see the, the political commentary in the heroes. You look at the X-Men as a direct representation of the civil rights movement. Yeah. You know, you see Black Panther. Now, Black Panther was first premiered in July of 1966. The Black Panther Party for Self-Defense, you know, like Bobby Seale, Huey P. Newton, they came out in October of 1966. There's not a relationship between those two. It just happened to coincide same year, a few months apart, that there was a, a comic book hero named Black Panther and the Black Panther Party, you know? Like, it wasn't like one influenced the other. They're separate, just coincidence. Uh, but they were trying to show diversity and representation even back then. And they were trying to show the real-life struggles of our society even in something as fantastical as a superhero comic book. Yeah. And so that, to me, is, is another nod to the legacy of Stan Lee and his crew for putting that out there, for being on the forefront of that kind of relevant, relatable storytelling. Yeah. So that that means a lot to me. And I mean you can even I mean you can even take that into the you can even take that to today. You know, we just had the Black Panther movie come out. Um yeah. I guess that wasn't right now, but you know, in the last ten years. And uh I look at m- movies that have a soapbox mm-hmm. with a lens of how hard are you going to hit me over the head with this while maintaining, you know, a, a, a relevant story? Well, sure. And when I went, I went into that with I didn't wear the lens. I just went in to watch a movie and really enjoyed coming out the other end. With the statement that they made on the current racial tension in yeah. the United States, yeah, like I was, yeah, Killmonger is one of the best villains in the MCU. Yeah. By far. like it was, I, I, 
is it going to go down as my favorite MCU movie of all time? But it's up there. Well, it's really good. It's yeah. super solid. Yeah. And I attribute that because it's it told a great story and a relevant real story. Right. Like, yeah. Is there you know a country in Africa with the super? T- I don't know. Uh, well, it's, it, it's if, if they're hidden, it's we hidden. wouldn't know. Yeah, that's they haven't <laughs> but, revealed themselves yet. <laughs> but we'll go with you know probably not, um, but possibly if if you're listening and you're in Wakanda, um, we're looking for a sponsor. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and I uh, hear vibranium, you know, fetches a pretty penny. <laughs> um, vibranium microphones for the podcast. I wonder what that would do because it absorbs vibration. Would be better sound quality or worse? I don't know. Because <laughs> now my brain's thinking about it. Um, Question for the listeners. <laughs> Create a poll, right? Would vibranium microphone be better or worse? <laughs> put that on the Facebook page. Yes. Um, well, I think that, that leads us to the second half of our title, Wizards and Wisdom. Because it's not just talking about wizards, both yeah. real-life people who are worthy of title and fictional wizards, but... What wisdom, what knowledge, what, what lessons we can learn from their life, their work, uh, their influence. And moving to what wisdom can we learn from Stan Lee? Two things come to mind. And one was said to Peter Parker in the Sam Raimi trilogy, uh, where Stan Lee says to you know, Toby McGuire, Peter Parker, he says, you know, I guess one person really can make a difference. Yeah. So like that is one of the the most to me one of the most significant messages lessons that Stan Lee left us with is that one person can make a difference you know and it's regardless of what we're talking about like I, you know, helping the environment yeah you know uh, making the world a little bit safer you know influencing other people to be better. You know, I, I teach martial arts. We're sitting in, you know, I can, I'm looking at the floor where we do martial arts, where I teach and train. And I think to myself, when I was, when I was 20, I wanted to change the world. Actually, when I was 20, I wanted to change the world by being rich and famous. <laughs> when I was 30, I just wanted to change the world. I wanted to make a significant impact on the entire world. Now I'm in my 40s. And I realize that I may never change the world. But my role in life isn't to do that. My role in life is to change the people who will change the world. Yeah. And so I look at the students I have, both my youth and my adult students, and especially when I look at my youth students, I see people who are future leaders, and they're under my care for a couple nights a week, yeah. for 40 minutes, half hour, whatever it is that I have them a night. And I'm imparting to them not just how to punch, how to kick, how to throw, how to armbar somebody, I'm imparting to them life skills that go with traditional martial arts training. Confidence, respect, self-discipline, leadership, responsibility, and sending them out into the world with this knowledge and hopefully doing my job to influence them so that 10 years down the line, whether they're black belts in training or not, whether they you know, are successful martial artists or not, yeah. hopefully... My legacy, that's my goal, is to impart onto, into these young minds and these young hearts the tools not only to be successful, to, but to make a difference in the world around them. 
So if I influence 20 people in my life, and those 20 people influence 100 people each, then my influence has yeah. spread that far, right? Yeah. And those are conservative numbers, because <laughs> I, I am positive. <laughs> I think I will impact many more, but because I have that desire, that's, that's what I want to do. That's the mark I want to leave yeah. on the world. I, and that, that all comes down to what Stanley said. I think one person really can make a difference. Because even if I only help one person, and that one person you know, changes the world, <laughs> yeah. well, then I had a hand in that, right? Yeah. I think, I think that in, you know, I don't, I read somewhere that they're like the famous, you know, Curiosity Killed the Cat and mm -hmm. stuff like that. They're, like, they're actually extended and they're actually longer. But I digress. It's one of the reasons why I think like birds of a feather flock together is I've had similar mindsets because when I was when I was in high school there were many things I wanted to do but one of them that I still think about regularly but I don't know how to get there was that I wanted to be a teacher whether it was science or history those are the things I, I enjoy it was this idea that I feel like the and I know we're digressing off the Stan Lee but I think his we never digress in this podcast <laughs> I think I think his influence is there, like I said, subconsciously. Sure. Um, like the idea of I would become a teacher and I always felt like I didn't, and this is probably narcissistic, but I didn't think like everyone else. Like my thought process was different and my priorities were different. What, at the end of the day, it, math is the best thing. Like I, would, I was always told that I need to show my work. But my idea was, if I got the answer, does it like does it matter? And to, like I get what they want you to do; they want you to be able to show that you can do the work. But it, okay, so I do five problems. I show you I can do the work, and then I just get the answer. Like what the little mind, like things like that. It, is it necessarily positive? But I feel like there are ways that you can take that like type of thinking and lead towards a better world and I I always thought you know if I could influence people to think for themselves not just be fed what comes through and not all teachers are like this but comes through the United States education system of you know cookie cutter everyone does the same thing all the time sure. your life is pre-planned you need to go to college and do this and then get married and do this right this idea that Maybe that's not what you want to do. Mm -hmm. Or what you should do. Or what you should do. Yeah. And you're going to upset some people with the decisions that you make. But at the end of the day, you live and then you die. And the decisions you made were your own. And you should do things to better the world around you. Because someday you will die. And when you do, is the world going to be better off after you? Right. And there was a time in my life where I wasn't the best human being in the world. But then I started thinking for myself and what really matters and how we treat people. I think as a collective, and you, you touched on the Sam Raimi, you know, what, I guess one person can make a difference. I, it popularized in those movies was with great power comes great responsibility. Yep. And, and that's the other lesson. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Which was, of course it is, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it, it kind of, 
like if everyone took that mentality to heart, like I have the power to go to work and I can save the animals' lives, but if I could impact the person who came in with a sick animal that they bought from a breeder, they spent thousands of dollars and the APL isn't necessarily against breeders, but we understand that they are part of the problem of over, overpopulation. They lead to many things. Right. But I can choose to I can choose to look at this person and be like, well, you're an idiot. You didn't, you know, obviously you didn't check to make sure that this person was verified to get vaccinations. I can do that, or I can be sympathetic. You know, they are educated like they don't realize that this german shepherd puppy they bought for a thousand dollars we had you know a week ago here for 200 bucks right all the vaccinations spayed and neutered everything they could possibly need they don't know that but then their puppy gets sick and they've just dropped a thousand dollars uh for this puppy and it can cost you know thousand two thousand dollars for parvo treatment and we're going to do that for them you know the reclaim fees usually we charge someone like a hundred bucks no one can drop a, no, I shouldn't say no one, most people don't drop $1,000 and then can drop another two grand to take care of a puppy. Right. So they come to us desperate and I can either choose because I have the power in that moment to be like, oh, too bad, so sad. Or I can be like, you know, I'm here to help because that's, at the end of the day, I work for the place called the Animal Protective League. The best way I can help the animals is to educate the people. Sure. And I don't always, you know, just like everyone else, I don't always enjoy my job. But it's things like that, the influence that I can have over a greater scope that makes me enjoy my job. Sure. And so I think if we all look at it, using the United States as an example... If we look at it as the United States has a whole lot of power, if we take that power and use it responsibly, right? <laughs> the, imagine what we could do. Like, think of all the technological advancements we've had over the last 20 years. Imagine what we could do instead of worrying about, you know what army is trying to march into our country that's just, you know, people who are scared. Right. Um, people hit the caravan. Yeah. <laughs> and we invited them in with open arms. You know, yeah, bad things happen. They're going to happen no matter what. Right. I, to me personally, I think that if we all just treated people better, those bad things will then start to... Decrease. dwindle yeah <clears throat> and we could and one of my favorite people on the internet is uh and not because i support him but because he makes me laugh is alex jones <laughs> and he he has a phrase called a globalist and i used to hear a lot of people in my life use phrases like that okay. people who think the whole world should be united and and somehow that's a bad thing <laughs> and i'm like okay I don't understand how that can be a bad thing. Like, if we all work together to make a better planet, a better existence, yeah. oh no, okay. oh, oh, oh no, somehow uh, the Illuminati's won and whatever. Right. Let them win then because we have a better life. Right. You know, we have men who are trying to, you know, colonize Mars. Imagine if we didn't have to, because we're at the, we're, at, we're getting to the point where we have to. 
<laughs> so it's, if we all yeah. just work together and yeah, there's a, there's definitely a clock <laughs> on what we can do to save the planet to help the world, and that's just like soapbox off the side of stands. There you go. <laughs> but you know, like you said, that when you think about Stanley, you think about the the character that that most people think about first is Spider Man. And when you think about Spider-Man, one of the first things you think about with Spider-Man is with great power comes great responsibility. That's like the tagline. That's the that's the, the, the moral impetus of the characters that, you know, when Spider-Man first started off, he had great power, but he didn't accept or understand the responsibility. And then because of that, that had some pretty bad consequences that's going to haunt him for the rest of his life. Yeah. And now he's, in dealing with that trauma and that past, He's trying his best to live up to that maxim, you know, with great power comes great responsibility, and it's true. I mean, I have seen the the antithesis of this moral too many times. You know, great power not being used responsibly, not being uh, used carefully, used for you know entirely for personal gain, uh, at the detriment of other people, uh, just so that. You know, a business owner or a world leader can get ahead. You know, it, it's and you're right. I mean, what's call me a globalist if that means that we're all getting along and we're all on the same team? Yeah. You know, like that's that to me makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh no, yeah. this horrific world you're describing. Yeah. But you know, Stanley, Stanley Martin Lieber, born December twenty eighth, nineteen twenty two. Passed on November twelfth, two thousand eighteen. He left a legacy for us, and uh, yeah, with great power comes great responsibility. With with any power comes a level of responsibility. So I don't I don't look at myself and think like I have great power, but I do have a lot of influence. Yeah, and I do have people that that look up to me and count on me. And if I'm going to live up to the standard set by Stan the Man, yeah, he was the man. He was the man. Then I gotta I gotta live up to that. Yeah. So is there anything else, Joe? I think I think w- one thought that I had earlier and I wanted to get my dates correctly is this is a question I, I wanted to pose for the end of the podcast. Sure. And if anyone's listening, they want to get it on Facebook or the email um, Wizards and Wisdom on Facebook or Wizards and Wisdom Podcast at Gmail is our email. Yeah, we always get the pod, we always get the email wrong. Yeah, Wizards and Wisdom Podcast, podcast at gmail.com. Yes, um, and our website is Wizards and Wisdom Wisdom dot com. Dot com. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then on Facebook, you just type in Wizards and Wisdom. Uh, yeah, you'll you'll you should find us. Find us I yeah. think probably. Yeah, oh, I'm pr- I'm pretty sure. I've tried it. Um, was. I heard um, in, pre- in preparation and out of curiosity, I was watching some interviews and podcasts with Kevin Smith regarding Stanley. And he used, um, he used a phrase um, that I'm paraphrasing that Stanley was like the modern Mark Twain. Sure. And. So this is the question that I pose to you, and so Mark Twain died April twenty first, nineteen ten. So uh, his hundred year anniversary of his death was eight years ago. 
So in a hundred years from now, do we think Stan Lee will be imagine this is assuming that humanity still exists on Earth? Um, well, I think positive there, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, Stan's gone, so <laughs> what hope do we really what have? Hope do we have? <laughs> um, do we think because we know who Mark Twain is? Sure. Um, do we think there will be, you know, some guys a hundred years from now with much better equipment than what we've got right now, talking about another character who is the modern day Stan Lee? Well, sure. There's always every generation is going to have every century is going to have their storytellers, their myth makers. You know, we still talk about Tolkien. We, we're we're going to be talking about George Lucas forever. We're going to be talking about Stan Lee. I believe that. Yeah. And that, that was my thought. I think call, calling him a modern Mark Twain is accurate. I mean, as far as storytelling goes. like like. But I think, personally, I think Stan might have him beat. Because adjusting for inflation, like human population-wise in the last hundred years. Like, his yeah. influence is... Well, to be to be fair, too, um, Stan's had the benefit of, you know, the modern medium. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, people aren't putting Huckleberry Finn necessarily on movies right now. Yeah. You know, I think Disney did it back in the day, you know, the adventures of Huckleberry Finn or whatever. Ah, uh, so now <laughs> Disney owns two peoples. <laughs> Disney owns Mark Twain. Yeah. No, but in terms of a lasting influence on the culture, sure, absolutely. I think Stanley is definitely going to be among those names that are talked about long after we're done. Oh, for sure. So, uh, so then I pose the question to the audience, probably all maybe 8 of you, um, if we're if I'm feeling optimistic. Um, hey, Facebook marketing is an amazing thing. Yeah, it is. Um, this will definitely get promoted. Um, do you guys think Stanley will be relevant to you know nerds a hundred years from now? Mm. Um, well, let me let me add something to that because I'm curious too. If any of the listeners can think of another person that we didn't talk mm. about whose name would be up there uh, in the you know the echelons of yeah. You know, modern storytellers who will be remembered, you know, long after we're gone. Yeah, I would be curious to hear. You know, would Neil Gaiman be considered? You know, <laughs> Terry Pratchett would those guys be considered? Douglas Adams would his name pop up at all? Um, I'm curious. I'm curious to hear what people think about that as well. Yeah. So definitely, so is Stan the man's name going to last through the, through time? And is there anybody else that we missed? Yeah. Is there any? Is there anybody who will stand the test of time that we yeah. didn't talk yeah, what about? What about J.K. Rowling? Yeah. 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 Good old J.K. What about Stephanie Meyer? Who's that? She's the writer of Twilight. <laughs> <laughs> no, come on, man. You're not wearing your Twilight t-shirt tonight, but you know. <laughs> uh, oh, one last little, little... Here's the ending story. Here's Team Jacob. Team Jacob, by the way. <laughs> here's ending story time. So, here... Here's how I'm going to wrap up because you brought up Stephanie Meyer. Um, I got told when I was in high school that I wasn't allowed to make fun of books unless I read them. Okay. So I, I spent the, the week after I was told that reading the Twilight books. You read them all? I read them all. Nice. Because I was like... I read the first one. 
and I've seen all the movies. <laughs> it, if if I'm being honest, they're not complete garbage. I mean, well, I enjoyed sh- the movies. I have, they're <laughs> problematic in yeah. certain ways, but I enjoyed the movies. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, which gets me to one of the greatest moments of my youth. Um, being being one of not necessarily one of the few males, but if you take stereotypes marketing, they're those movies were de- like directed towards a certain demographic. Yeah, forty-five-year-old um, men. <laughs> no, <laughs> and I'm only forty-three. <laughs> and I saw them with uh, an ex of mine, and we were watching uh, what was the Breaking Dawn. They broke it up in two. Part one and two, yeah. So I'm sitting in a theater, maybe one of like fifteen guys. If I had to like. Do a head count, probably with girlfriends. Oh yeah, and so it's a theater full of women, and the scene comes up in the snow, where the the bad vampires and the good vampires are gonna fight. Yeah, and they go at it and they rip uh, the dad Carlisle. They Carl, rip yeah. his head off and yeah. the, he's holding it facing, and everyone goes nuts. Oh yeah, the whole theater. Went nuts. And they were yeah. like, oh my, and I'm rolling. Yeah. I was like. I don't know what's happening, but this movie just got so much better. Yeah, well, there, there were two bits of knowledge that I knew. Now, keep in mind, and don't hold this against me, but I did win a Twilight poster once by winning a, a Twilight trivia uh, at the movie theater before they started playing the movie. So I, I know way more about Twilight than I probably should. Uh, but I knew two things. One, the most significant thing, is that that scene where, you know, where Carlisle gets his head cut off was not is not in the book. Oh yeah, for sure. Right? Yeah. So not only are they gonna be freaking out because it's Carlisle yeah. and his head's off, but freaking out because I even heard people say that like that's not in the book. Yeah. That's <laughs> not in the book. <laughs> and then when it was finally revealed that it was all a future yeah. potential dream with Alice. Yeah. Right? Then everybody's like, oh and I didn't hate that that's what they did. No, it it was, gave, I thought it was cool. Yeah, I was like, that was gave way me more the exciting best. than the actual ending of the book. Yeah, I was like, that gave me the best of both worlds. And that was a really good fight scene. Yeah. Like, come on. And I was like, I am... When it first happened, I there was a part of me, I was like, I don't want this... Please yeah. tell me this is how they're going to end it. Yeah, they should like, do something like this that in the, Avengers 4. Yeah, it was a potential the, future <laughs> where people die, like Captain America gets his head ripped off, and <laughs> Iron Man blows up, <laughs> and, <it's just> <laughs> and then it's all like, whoa, Doctor Strange, this is what could happen. Yeah, that's, that's how Avengers <laughs> 4 it's, it's just a yeah. whole bunch of clips from the different universe. Yeah. Thanos Every is like, screw this, failure. <laughs> Every single failure he watched <laughs> until the last one where it's the actual movie. Dude, they, if Avengers <laughs> 4 borrows from Breaking Dawn yes. Part 2. All right. All right. I think, I think that's where we can end it. Yeah, well, there's nothing else to talk about now. We've already yeah, I mean, we hit the epitome of topics, Twilight. I mean, yeah. We've... Epic storytelling. I think that's the end of Wisdom. Compelling wisdom. characters. Yeah. I think I think we're done. Like I forever. Like yeah, I don't think so. Four. Yeah. All right. Well, we hope that you guys uh, have a great night and a great life. Yeah. Be sure to check us out again. Facebook Wizards and Wisdom. Our email Wizards and Wisdom Podcast at gmail.com. Our website wizardsandwisdom.com. I'm Bud. I'm Joe. And uh, that's it. We're yeah. done. Thanks, guys. <laughs>